But the success keeps kind of, it's like a drug, isn't it? It keeps them on a high, so they kind of cope with that. And that, for me, is that place where I can add most value. Nick talks to us in more detail about how being better before bigger works best. And look at that analogy that if you want to play at the top level, you've got to also give yourself periods to, you know, recover, regroup, rethink. Hello, you lovely listeners of the Making Conversations Count podcast. It's me, Wendy Harris, and we return yet again with another fantastic guest's conversation to share with you. We're joined by Nick Cramp, a leadership coach who was introduced to me by a previous guest, Mike Pagan. Now, Mike talks all things mental wealth. So if you missed that show, please do go back and hunt it out. It's another great conversation. But back to Nick. Now, Nick, he stumbled into leadership coaching by accident after buying a business off the shelf. Now, this will be something that many of us has considered. I've done it. I did it well, but it ended badly. We'll talk about that another day. So a lot of the conversation today is around how we lead ourselves. And of course, we all think about running a business to scale. So let's introduce Nick. So Nick, just for the listeners, I should introduce you. You are a transformational coach and an author, and you challenge on the idea of consider being better before they're bigger. That's right. So how did that concept evolve for you? Tell us the story behind that. Well, the story's got two parts. The first part is my experience as a business owner, which was from about 23 to late 30s. So I had about 16 years running two businesses. One was a health club and one was a preschool and nursery. And what I learned was how not to run a business. (laughs) (laughs) We all learn that quickly, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And I had no business experience. I had a degree in sport. (laughs) So I was expert at the rules of volleyball, which obviously made me ideal to run a health club. So I bought them on an impulse and back when you could buy businesses on impulses and people would lend you lots of money. So I spent 16 years working in the business rather than on the business. I was really technically employed by the businesses. I just didn't realise at the time that's what I was. They were physical businesses, bricks and mortar, same location, same journey each day, same but different routine each day, get to the office eight o'clock, focus on someone else's problems, move on to the next one, move on to the next one, leave it eight o'clock. repeat, yeah. Rinse and repeat. And I couldn't find a way out of them. And the businesses kept getting bigger. We had more members, we had more clients, we had more turnover, but they didn't get better. They got better maybe for others, but not for me. So clearly there was something that was working well. Yes. To give you that growth. And, you know, there seems to be a common 
theme running through with guests at the moment, that that growth, everybody goes, we all want growth, but it can be growing pains. So what were the pains within the business that it wasn't quite where you wanted it to be then, Nick? The pains were twofold. One was there was no second level. There was no future ambition. The business was to get the business to a certain level, but I didn't have a a vision beyond that. So I was working in the businesses, but it wasn't, there was an end point. There was no point I was thinking about selling them or expanding them. So it was very samey. The other impact was the fact that there was no development for me personally. So I was stuck in this operational manager role and I didn't develop my own thinking. I did an MBA to try and distract myself, I think, in reality but couldn't really apply the stuff back to my size business. So I'd kind of limited my own growth and therefore I wasn't growing and therefore the businesses weren't growing. So looking for the answer led you to realise that you were better suited being somewhere else than where you found yourself. Yeah, and... That wasn't by design. That was on reflection years later. I ended up having to close one business and sell the other business. The recession came and there was just not the margins in the business to continue them. And they were both in the leisure kind of luxury sector. So as soon as a recession comes, that's the spend that's hit. Mm -hmm. So fortunately for me, in hindsight, although it didn't feel fortunate at the time, I had to close one, I had to sell the other. And that forced my hand. And looking back, as we do with the benefit of hindsight, that was the best thing that happened to me. It didn't feel like it. And there was consequences, obviously, at the time of closing them and selling them. But it then got me the distance to be able to see what was actually in play and what was actually happening, rather than having 60 people and 1,500 customers relying on me. It was just me. The responsibility of being a business owner, isn't there, that you've... Yeah. Yeah. It kind of creeps up on you. I don't think you realise until you haven't got it. It's like taking a rucksack off your back. Suddenly it's like, wow, (laughs) this feels right. Yeah. I was having a conversation a while ago with Rob Cressy, and he said it's like having an anvil on your chest. But you would just hear about the people who just stopped and gave up, and I was like, I never want to relate to that, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I am not that person. And this is kind of where, you know, hearing what you were saying, that it was not by design, that it's not in alignment then with where you should be and what you should be doing. Yeah. So did the MBA then give you a broader perspective and that distance to be able to design what came next? Yeah, the MBA made me realise there was lots of different ways of doing this and there were better ways of doing it. So it gave me that insight into other businesses and what was happening in the outside wider world. This was, you know, a lot of this was pre-internet and a lot of this was when you were very insular with your businesses. Yes. You can just jump on a Zoom and learn from others. That wasn't an option. There wasn't online training programmes. You know, as a leader, you were really isolated You didn't have the availability of resource you have today. So I left, obviously, and moved on from that. And I started assisting friends and families with their businesses that morphed into coaching. And I learned that what I realized, what I loved was working on businesses rather than working in businesses. 
And what I was actually quite good at was helping others with their mindset and working with them on how to address their challenges in a coaching capacity. So I kind of stumbled into coaching almost by default rather than by design. But once I got there, I realized that everything I'd done previously had given me the experience and the knowledge to play that role for others. So the person I lacked when I ran my businesses was me. I needed someone to actually help me detach from the day to day. I needed someone to force me to sit with a blank piece of paper and write a strategy for next year. All of the stuff I didn't do, (laughs) I now make sure my clients do. It's fascinating, isn't it? How Mm. I could get a pound for every time I say this, how our own personal experiences influence the journey that we're going on. Mm. And I say all of the experiences that I've had in my personal life have led me to be doing the thing that I'm doing now and compounding those experiences together so that I can only imagine what that's going to be like, you know, in five years time. It's it's exciting. Yeah. And certainly for you, being able to facilitate other business owners and and help with that mindset and planning, because it's not just about what you think, is it? It's the actions that you take and it, you know, because we can all think ourselves being brilliant. Yeah, (laughs) We certainly can. We're good at that, aren't we? We trick ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. We can do that visualisation. Yes. Yeah. What's the fundamental aspect for you that indicates that that person is ready? I think for me, the ideal client is a lovely combination of frustrated, stroke overwhelmed, but still ambitious, stroke optimistic. So they are, you know, feeling the pressure of being the fulcrum of their business. Stuck. Yeah, but it's a nice trap. It's what I classify as the success trap because they've got there because their business is successful. Yes. And they're overwhelmed by the success and what they've got in place in terms of people, processes and structure were great when they were smaller, but they've outgrown them, but they haven't upgraded them. Mm. They've been making do with something which is no longer fit for purpose. But because they're busy growing all the time, they haven't got the time to actually address them. They kind of know deep down that this is not right. But hey, the phone's ringing. There's someone else that loves me. There's another client. There's more money. They're constantly I don't want to take two steps back to go forward on. Yes. It's okay. We'll make do. We'll put some some sticky tape around it and it'll be okay for another five years. You know, it's that mentality that... They're in this delicious conundrum where they've got success, but they've got overwhelm and they're bouncing between the two. But the success keeps kind of, it's like a drug, isn't it? It keeps them on a high. So they kind of cope with that. Yes. And that for me is that place where I can add most value. And that's where this better before ideology fits because it's at that stage where I feel they need to introduce a plateau so if you're climbing a mountain you can't just continually climb for five days running your body and your mind can't cope with it you can't acclimatize the new height you've got to have base camps you've got to have a secondary camp and you've got to have these stages where you just adjust 
Or well, certainly Cathy yeah. O'Dowd would agree because she is, you know, the first woman to have scaled Everest from both sides. So yeah. successfully. And that's physically climbing. Winners never quit is a terrible maxim. You should absolutely quit in all sorts of situations. If, if it, the mountain is too dangerous, get out, get home. You could die. Yeah. Um, yeah. In business, you know, if you've already lost, a billion, don't lose another billion. Call it quits. <laughs> Give it to charity. It's called Wendy Harris. <laughs> And it is, it's this, it is the same thing, isn't it? You, you know, one big goal needs to be broken down into smaller, more achievable yeah. steps. And, and this idea of having an off-season, you know, most professional athletes, most sports teams will have a period when they're, they're not competing and they're training and they're looking at their fitness, they're looking at their tactics. If it's a sports team, they're bringing new players in. So they're kind of regenerating the organisation before they go again. There yes. isn't a continual process. I believe Andy Murray won Wimbledon with the time he spent in Miami in January when he got super fit. The fact he won it in Wimbledon in July was based on a, all a the work he'd done directly. Yes, precisely. Yes. Yeah. And I think business owners can learn a lot from sport. And look at that analogy that if you want to play at the top level, you've got to also give yourself periods to, you know, recover, regroup, rethink, and all those lovely re-prefixes that are really important. And right now as well, I think, Wendy, where business leaders have had the most challenging two years ever. There's no doubt about it. This has been unprecedented in the level of challenge on a business owner. And to turn around in 2022 and turn around the troops and say, right, guys, 25% growth, here we go. And everyone's like, really? What? <sighs> can I have you a know, holiday? Yeah. Can I just yeah. gain my life back first? You know, and I think it's now an ideal time for businesses to really think about what does this next phase look like? You know? Yes. Because the whole relationship has changed, doesn't it? Whether it's with employees, whether it's with customers, there's lots of movement happen over the last two years. So it's a case of really thinking about, well, what's best for this next period? Let's not just carry on regardless and go back to where we were. You know, what's that look like? You've already touched on this a bit, Nick, haven't you, by sort of saying that leadership, you know, in the when the recession hit... 2007 I remember yeah. the first sort of yeah. push because you know I, I've been in business 17 years oh gosh <laughs> you were more isolated than ever before and we're now more connected than mm. ever before yet can actually feel even more isolated it's the paradox isn't it that we it have but of course when in, in the beginning of covid and people going oh when can we get back to normal you know, we're yeah. never going to see that again. That's, you know, we've got to continually transform and evolve, haven't we, to, and to we grow have. into and accept and embrace the change, what's yeah. coming. Yeah. And, yes, our relationships with staff, employees, teams, customers even, is going to change. So it's it's about... For me, anyway, it's about keeping people yeah. at the foremost of those relationships. I agree. I think right now all leaders need to be 
stakeholder focused. They need to be spending time and giving enough time for the depth of conversation with those different stakeholder groups. So whether that's employees, whether that's suppliers, whether that's contractors and customers, it's actually entering to a two-way dialogue and saying, right now, Wendy, right now, given everything's happened, Mm -hmm. how are you feeling? What do you need from us right now? What does this look like? What have we learned together? Because that's what we need to do is we need to reinvent the relationships at that next level up. You know, do we actually need to get together and meet, you know, or can we do all our business on Zoom? Yeah. Is a really relevant question for a lot of us right now, isn't it? Well, yeah, because you can go, well, it is really nice to meet up for a coffee and a slice of yeah. <laughs> that takes two hours out of my diary. Yes. And does nothing for the fitness regime that I keep telling myself would be nice if I stuck to it. Yeah. So, yeah, I get exactly what you're saying there is that I think we've all found that there's been an awful lot of time wasted in times gone by, you know, having a meeting to set another meeting to set what that meeting is going to be about. And, oh, Mr. Smith couldn't be there. So we'll have another meeting so that Mr. Jones can tell Mr. Smith what we were talking about before we decide what we're going to decide. It's a crazy world we live in, isn't it, Nick? It can be, but I think right now there is so many opportunities that have been generated by the pandemic that we wouldn't have responded to without it, which sounds, I don't want to make light of it, obviously, because it's been tragic for so many people. But I think there can be both in play at the same time. Been a level of acceleration, hasn't there? Yeah. One of my... um, Passions outside of work is I'm a school governor, ahead of a couple of governing bodies for two some local schools. And the impact on education over the last two years has been, they say, 10 years worth of progress. You know, everyone learning to Thank be able to goodness. do other things. Online. Yeah. It's been brilliant for education because, you know, we now have lessons being taught across two or three schools with one teacher. Better infrastructures. Really, yeah. And, and better skill sets. You know, yes. if you're passionate about history, I'm passionate about geography. Well, you teach history to everyone, I'll teach geography to everybody. You know, let's use the skill sets we've got. Yes. So I think there's some amazing opportunities right now for leaders. But this is the time to really stand back and think about what they're trying to achieve and thinking about what they need to achieve that. And it's always been relevant But I think right now it's more relevant than ever because there's more, there's still uncertainty out there. There's still a lot of kind of known unknowns and that's where leadership comes into play. You know, leadership when everything is going as according to plan is a relatively easy thing to do. Yes, it's that uncertainty, isn't it? When you've got some certainty over what your vision is, because none of us have got crystal balls, you know, and there's there's certainly worldly influences going on that can't be ignored and that will have an impact on us all. We share a planet, ultimately. We do. So with the listeners as well, Nick, some some are already in business, some are thinking about starting a business. What would your number one tip be for somebody who's thinking of starting out? You know, they could be in a corporate role and think, actually, it's just time for me to branch out and do it my way because I can do it better. Where would they start? 
I think for me, they all start with something that they really are passionate about and something that they feel the world is missing or there's a better version of it. So, you know, that, like the guy that started Trunkies, you know, seeing at an airport people lugging cases around and thinking, hang on a minute, there's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah. You know, that's a classic entrepreneurial situation where someone has that light bulb moment. And I think you need to focus on, you know, a specific problem for a specific set of people. You know, it always concerns me when I meet someone and say, well, who's your ideal market? Oh, everybody. And it's like, right, wow. really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've been there. I used to think as a business coach that I could coach anybody whatever stage of business they're at you know because I was a coach and they were want to be helpful just want to be helpful and do you want to raise money do you want to do that I can do all of that and you kind of get to the stage where you realize that you could do it but you can't do it that well so trying to hone in on that kind of niche which is what you obviously do so well bring it right down to I'm doing this for these people and it's going to make this difference and I think that any first-time entrepreneurs, you've got to be able to articulate really succinctly those three things. The difference you're making, who you're making it to, and why they're going to choose you. And that's almost takes us full circle to it's a bit like being intentional with the start of your day. It is, and I think keeping that intention front and centre is just so important because you can, as we both probably experience, you can get distracted by all the stuff. Yes, and there is a lot of stuff. Oh, there's as much stuff as you allow in, isn't there? <laughs> Definitely. The only thing that I'm allowed to distract me is the dog. <laughs> if, she, if she needs to go out, we go out. Yeah. And, and in fairness to her, she probably doesn't realise you're running a business. So, no, you know, that's, that's true. That, yeah. That's fair enough. Put your boots on, Mom. Come on. Come uh, on, get out there. It's a good distraction. Yeah. And it's it's having those sorts of distractions as, as well that can give you that little bit of distance that you need sometimes on a day-to-day basis as well. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how we need to almost give ourselves permission to walk away from the screen or to walk away from the office? And I find... You know, I, I'm guilty as charged, but the amount of owners that I talk to or leaders and I say, look, you know, why don't you start your day a little bit later and spend more time with the family first and then go, oh, I can't do that. People expect me in the office. And it's just like, they're not judging you on that. They're judging you on your output, not your inputs. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. if you've got the right people, they didn't give a toss whether you're in the office first and last. And of course, we've got these things, haven't we? You know, we've got these that are not just a phone anymore, you know, they nope. are your portable office. And yeah. we've been encouraged to have this portable office. So it's yeah. really hard to unplug. Yeah. So I have two tips. And like you, I've got a, a, an office in the garden. So the commute yeah. is terrible when it's raining. Yeah. But I love it because I come up into the office and that's where my work yeah. gets done. And okay, I might check on my phone a little bit, but usually... I'm kind of going, dead time, let's see if there's anything rubbish. Yes, it's still rubbish. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and I fool myself in that instance. But one of the things that I did in this office was that I don't have a light fitting. And that is because if it's dark, uh, I shouldn't just, be in here. You shouldn't be working. No. 
It's as simple as that. And at six o'clock at night, if the yeah. dinner isn't on and cooking for the family, yeah. Yeah. then it should be. The phone gets put upside down, on charge, on the side, in the kitchen. And I don't look at it again then generally until I go and make a cup of tea about eight o'clock or get a drink. And I'll look at it once more before bed. So I actually spend my evening without my phone. It's so important, though, isn't it, to establish those rules with yourself almost, isn't it? Those kind of good habits, because... You know, the challenge for leaders now is they can work 24-7 if they want to. There's always an email that needs responding to. There's always an idea that needs progressing. Mm. But the quality just goes down. You know, it just, you can't maintain the quality if you're doing that many hours. And I think the quality is the essential ingredient that you can't replicate. So I think that, you know, first-time leaders or experienced leaders makes no difference. I think that leading on your own terms in your own way is so important, but finding your own kind of way of working is really essential. And like you, you know, if you can find that rhythm that works with family and the work and your personal needs, it's a really important discovery, isn't it? It is, and it's it saves a lot of emotional bleed. Yeah, um, I can't yeah. I can't think of another term to say, but yeah. if I've got my phone and my husband sees me with yeah. it, he's like, "You're still working? No, I'm on Facebook. Well, what are you doing on there? Because he doesn't do any of those things. No, well, nothing really. Well, what are you on there for then? I don't <laughs> understand. You know, or if I'm doing that and my 13 year old sees me doing that, then she's gonna just think that it's okay to have her head in her phone too it's the role modeling isn't it which is subconsciously done i think leaders do this as well because if they're emailing outside of normal office hours then their team think they need to respond and it's saying this behavior is normal and expected here and without realizing they're sending such a bad message to their team and they're creating a culture that you've got to always be on yeah so being better sometimes can just be if you if you're frustrated in the role that you're doing and you think that you can do a better job it is likely yeah. because of the culture that is influencing you and what will make you make the change I, I think so I think that there's a very western mentality isn't there between you know this work ethic that we've got to be doing long hours we've got to do the hard yards but we haven't we've got to do the smart yards yes not yes. the hard yards And that's what counts. It is. And I think to just sort of sum that up, if we look back generationally through our family lines, I'm pretty sure that there are people that we knew that worked really hard and towed the line and did all of those things, but it still made no difference. They're not, they weren't millionaires or successful business owners. So... I agree with you. I don't think there's a very, very role models you can point to and say, well, that's who I'm trying to emulate. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to carry on that conversation in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. 
But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chin wag. Let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. Time for a Wendy Woo tip. And as you know, these always come in alignment with whatever the conversation is in today's episode. Distractions has been mentioned by Nick and it's about picking worthwhile distractions. So although I want you to really, really do your best at picking up the phone and talking to strangers, there are always going to be those days when you just don't feel like it. Even if you sit up straight, put your shoulders back and put a smile on your face. So allow yourself those days and go and find a worthwhile distraction. So if you're still looking to grow your business and reach new people, my suggestion to you would be to go and find five, 10 people on LinkedIn that would be who you would love to work with. Go find them, reach out, connect with them and see where that online conversation leads you. If you need any more help, you know what to do. Drop me a line. Everybody that comes on the show, I always say to them, right, have a think about one conversation that created a turning point for you, your pivotal moment. Yeah. Are you ready to share that with me now? (laughs) I am with some embarrassment, but I will share. (laughs) Oh, because I don't get to know this pre-record. So I'm hearing this live. Cool. Right. (laughs) I'm bracing myself. About... Six years ago, I was I spent a couple of years working for a US-based coaching company called Emith. So I went and trained as an Emith business coach, and Emith used to provide clients for the coaches. And we had a cohort of coaches that joined the same time as me, and we had a coaching supervisor. So we were kind of in a semi-competitive environment with each other because we were looking at who could generate the most work, all of those growth metrics. And I was very hooked. I like games. I like competing. And I was very hooked on volume and quantity. And then one day I got a call from the coaching supervisor who said, "Um, Nick, I don't know how to break this to you, but you've been sacked by one of your clients and they've gone to a different coach. Oh. And I was like, what? I only spoke to him two days ago. And it transpires that he didn't feel I was paying attention. He didn't feel I was present enough in the relationship. And I realised that what I was doing at that stage, I had 18 clients on my books. And I just had too many coaching calls, too many coaching conversations. And I was just dialing it in. I was just working. Going through the motions. Of I was going through delivery. the motions. Yeah. I wasn't present in the relationship because I'd put the volume and the quantity ahead of the quality, I'd sacrificed the quality of the work I did for first place on the scoreboard for that kind of vanity metric. 
And it made me realise that I have got one chance, one point with that relationship, and I've got to be all in when I'm speaking with that person. I've got to turn up as a professional. I've got to prepare for my sessions. I've got to deliver with intensity, and I've got to follow up, which sounds really basic. But once we get busy, it's often those basics that go out the window. Yes, I understand. And it took me that moment where I'd been sacked without realising to suddenly have that wake-up call that, hang on a minute, that's not who I am as a coach. That's not who I want to be. Mm. I then pivoted into creating my own coaching programme, which was very much focused on this target segment of clients. So rather than trying to offer average quality to a lot of people, I want to offer really high quality to the right segment of people. And that was my kind of pivot from that moment. Which ties in really nicely with that better before bigger, doesn't it? And that was, I think, the first germ of that where, you know, the book's a germ before you kind of write it. But I think that was kind of two years before I actually started putting stuff on paper. But it was probably the moment when I realised that doing it like that just wasn't going to cut it for me. I, I needed something more... I needed something deeper. I needed a deeper relationship with fewer people rather than a shallow relationship with lots of people. And I, I think this is something where we can agree, actually, Nick, is that it's that accountability to mm. our clients. Mm. My clients tend to... They've been to my wedding. <laughs> you know, we go for drinks. Yep. They become lifelong friends. Yep. You know, they're not necessarily people that, that know my family, but they know of my family okay. and I can talk. Yep. And they can tell me about theirs as well. So this sort of becomes a, a sort of, it's not just on the business surface of things that you're involved. Yeah, I realised it personally when I did the mental health first aid training yeah. years ago that I thought gosh you know I'm, I'm taking on such a responsibility because I'm intrinsically linked to their business growth through the work yeah. that I do and I realize that you know business is personal I don't care what anybody says you're yeah. working hard it's effectively your money even though yeah. the accountants will say it's in a limited company and it's not yours and I'm sorry but it is, you know, because yeah. if you didn't work for it, you wouldn't have it. Nope. So you don't want to give it away unless you feel like you're getting something back for it. So going on the mental health training was a, a way for me to be able to help protect me, but yeah. do a better job of looking after my clients as well and their expectations and this sort of thing. And it opened up a much deeper level of relationship because my awareness think, yeah. translated to their awareness. It's a two-way relationship, isn't it? You know, I get from my clients energy and inspiration and, you know, hopefully they hold me accountable in the same way I'm holding them accountable. And it's reciprocation which makes both parties better because we're both showing up to the relationship in a more intentional way. You know, yes. they're asking more of me and I'm asking better questions of them. And we're kind of, you know, like two people playing tennis together. You're raising the game simultaneously and you both end up playing at a higher level. 
it's when you get to that point where you almost settle. You've settled yeah. for what you've got. Yeah. That you go, well, hang on a minute. Is that is this actually where you want to be before you go into the next season? If you yeah. refer back Absolutely. to the course. Yeah. And, and it's what I call the OK syndrome, where things aren't broken in a business. They're just OK, mm. but they're not really inspiring anybody. They're yeah. just at that level where they're getting by, you know, and it's trying to, you know, with ourselves included, do the work to get to that next level, whatever that looks like. Yeah, and I think going back to what you were saying about the last two years, I know certainly I've been on a massive transformational journey. But I felt that that was the only thing I could do. It was that or quit. And I think there's a lot of people out there that will go, do you know what? I feel the same. I could have just quit. But why throw it all away? Or, well, I just, it's the way it is. I accept that. That's how it's always been. And it's sad because I think that, you know, People do get lost in their own businesses. People do kind of fail because they don't seek support from others. And I think there is so much available to help people in whatever areas they need it now. It's a brilliant time to run a business. Yeah, it's about recognising that there is something that needs to be better. And hence the show, Making Conversations Count, you yeah. don't know where a conversation is going to lead and it's who you have those conversations with that can seriously yeah. be the change that you need. Yeah, and they say that you are influenced by the, I can't remember the number, is it the five or the six people you spend most time with? Yes, yeah. And it's really important, isn't it, who we choose to spend time with. You know, like most people, I suppose, during the first six months of the first lockdown, I spent loads of time in network groups online and realised I was in totally the wrong room because I was getting nothing from the room. Mm. I was being de-energised rather Red than energised. too thinly, yes. Oh, but also, you know, lots of negative people, lots of doom-mongers that were just bringing me down. It was just kind of like, and I'd end up coming off called exhausted. And I think all I've done is listen to people and I feel tired. And it's mm. really important now, isn't it, with conversations that we consciously choose who we spend time with. Well, Nick, I think there's been some real value. Thank you so much for sharing what you do and how you help people. And of course, the better before bigger concept. I think we can all bear that in mind on a daily basis. So if anyone wants to carry on the conversation with you, where's the best place for them to find you hanging out? So there's two places where it's easiest to contact me. One is on my website, which is www.nickcramp.com. And the other is to find me on LinkedIn. And I'm always happy for a connection and a conversation on LinkedIn. That would be great. Yeah, just mention the show or just say, oh, I heard you talking to Wendy and Nick will know where you've come from. That would be great. Uh, It's been fantastic to talk to you, Nick. Thank you so much. Likewise, Wendy. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to be your guest. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Having a business and being successful can be a trap. As Nick says, it's a a success trap that you spend more time working in it than on it. And it's how do you come about to make those changes? So I do hope that you've got some thoughts 
and some ideas and some inspiration from the conversation with Nick today. Because as previous guests, Rob Cressy, we're talking about growing pains. And with Cathy O'Dowd, climbing a physical mountain, that's how it can feel when you're running your business. So make yourself a note. Beware those mind monkeys. And if it feels right, go for it anyway. Next time, we're going to be joined by another leadership coach who concentrates on you being able to find your fire. We're going to be making conversations with Nicola Buckley. Count. If I'm here now, so if I'm a nine out of ten and actually that feels like oh my god I'm only just holding it together I feel like plates could drop at any moment I'm feeling quite stressed I'm feeling like my heart's racing a lot I feel like I'm not spending enough time with my children feel quite guilty so how do you then take it back down to an eight? Mm-hmm.